It's amazing to me how many people desire to grow in their walk with God, regardless of where they are in the journey. So they ask for more faith. Many people pray for it. Other people say, if I come to church, maybe I'll just serendipitously get it. However, the scripture is very clear about how we get more faith. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God as Romans chapter 10 verse 17 reminds us. So our prayer for you as you hear this message is that your faith would go from where it is to where God intends it to be. Grow as you hear this word. Hallelujah. Everybody that loves Jesus, can we give him a praise that is worthy of a king? What a mighty God. What an awesome time in worship. What a reminder in every single song that in the valley, he's God. When there's a mountain in front of you, he's still God. And that he is the strength of our life. I just want to just say to all of our members and even those who are not who are sick and who are shut in, we're praying for you. And we know God has power to do what no doctor can do. Many of our members are, a few of our members that I know of are in the midst of some pretty serious challenges with their health. And I just want you all to know that you're not forgotten, that we are calling your name daily before the Lord. And we know that God has all power. And for those of you that are sick and shut in and can't get here physically and can't even connect with us the way that you would like, uh, we just want to remind you, don't you give up fighting. Uh, One of the hardest things when you get sick is that you just get tired of the fight. But I just encourage you to put your hand in the hand of the man that is able to do what no doctor can do. So we're praying for you. Amen. Amen. Also, you all, as I prepare to go into the message today, Um, You all, we're in a world that is quickly changing in front of us. And let me just say to the Christian church, if we're not careful, we will change with the world. If we're not careful, we'll change with the world. It doesn't mean that we're prude or insensitive. It doesn't mean that we become these individuals that are hate-filled. That's not who Jesus is. But what it does mean is that we hold to an anchor Uh, that keeps our faith centered and keeps our uh, focus the way it should be. So I just want to remind you all, especially parents, um, I was watching a series, and it seems like every series that I'm in, it starts off really innocent, and then another agenda comes in. And I'm like, where did that, 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 that plot didn't even make sense. But you all, let me just say to you all, there is an agenda that the world is pushing And we've got to be mindful of that, especially with our children. Amen? Amen. Uh, Before we go to the word, I want us to pray one more time and just ask God's uh, presence and spirit. God, we thank you for this uh, service. Thank you for the time of worship. Thank you, God, uh, for this word today. It's different. The dynamic of how we're delivering it is different. God, we pray that those who are Christian would be equipped to do ministry. The word of God says that pastors and teachers and prophets and evangelists, the offices of the church are there to equip the saints, to equip the church to do ministry. And so, God, our prayer is that these messages would do two things. Number one, it would equip the church to know how to minister to people out of the church. 
the focus, God, is that it would equip the church to know how to properly and delicately and lovingly and biblically minister to those outside of the church. But secondly, God, our prayer is for those who are far from you, that something would be done, something would be displayed or felt that would draw them closer to you. And God will be so very careful to give you all the glory and the honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Had a meeting with a pastor uh, who actually was a member of Citadel a while ago. You may remember him, Lorenzo Sewell. Uh, Lorenzo Sewell, and he's doing a great work. God is using him in some pretty powerful ways. And it's amazing that when we both talked, we both uh, ended up saying that God is leading us in the same general direction. Just, just turn it down just a little. And, and one of the things that he said was um, the average attention span online is seven minutes. Let me just say that again. The average attention span online uh, for those that are viewing things, especially church material, is about seven minutes. That being said, how many of y'all know most churches, they warm up at seven minutes? I mean, seven minutes, we just getting started. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the good morning, right? Uh, so that being said, I'm mindful for those of you that are viewing and clicking online. And by the way, I'm so grateful for many of our tech people, but particularly to Mike Treadway, who went ahead and posted and boosted our, uh, our uh, post. And we've had over 15, 20,000, 25,000 views of people that are now interested in looking into what we're talking about. That being said, for those of you that are clicking on and that are tuning in, I know that your focus and attention span is very close, and you're, you're hoping that we stay targeted, so I want to do that. Let me just share with you all from John, don't turn to it, but just John chapter 8, you all will remember this. Uh, Jesus is coming up in a situation. He's noticing a woman uh, being surrounded by all of these men, old and young, and they're getting ready to stone her to death. The Bible says that this woman had been caught in adultery. I don't have time to talk about it, but it's interesting to me that it, they only caught the woman. I've never seen adultery that was done by one person. But they caught the woman, and they had the woman, and because of the law, the woman had a legal right to be killed if she was caught in adultery. And so Jesus, writing down uh, in the sand, stood up uh, and said, let he that is without sin cast the first stone. Uh, and we don't know what he wrote, but, but, but whatever he did write or whatever he uh, was kind of intimating, uh, in that moment, those individuals who were getting ready to kill her, the Bible said, from the oldest to the youngest, they walked away. And then Jesus, who never sinned, he said, let he that's without sin now cast the first stone. And then he went up to the woman, who I'm sure was relieved, and, uh, and he said to her, woman, who, who is it that condemns you? And she says, nobody, my Lord. He says, neither do I. Neither do I. Then he said, go and sin no more. The church has gotten it in reverse. We want people to stop sinning before we talk to them. Jesus over and over and over again talked to people in the midst of their sin and by his compassion and by his love and by his acts of, of love and serving, he then made them want to change. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The church wants folk to change before they accept them. But can I just tell you something? That's not how God treated you. 
And so we have an obligation to be mindful of that. Why am I saying that? Because the subject matters that we're talking about, many Christians will think that we are condoning uh, the subject matter because I'm not going to be preaching about the subject matter. I'm going to be listening to people who are living the subject matter so that the church can learn from them and then appropriately figure out how to reach them. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Citadel, I've been pastoring you all for 18 years. Some of you all online may not have this kind of relationship, but you all, I, I know that Citadel knows what the word says about stuff. So I don't need to rehash what the word says, but I do need to uh, introduce what our response is to the people that are in the midst of these situations. So we'll be talking about two subject matters today, you all. Uh, one of them, uh, and I guess we'd put a title on this, the church's response to people who cohabitate and then blended families and single parents, all right? So two things, people who are cohabitating, that means living together, who are not married, and then those who are in the midst of blended families or who are single parents. So let me just tell you, and I do this at the beginning of every um, message, I just want to list the scriptures that the Bible teaches or the Bible tells us about the subject. So you can reference that on your own, okay? So this is what the Bible says about people who live together outside of marriage. So just turn, to, don't turn to it, but just write it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 1 through 40. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 1 through 40. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. So these are the scriptures that give us what God's word says about the subject matter. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 1 through 40. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. And as relates to single parents and those who have blended families, these are the scriptures that tell us what the word of God says about those individuals. Psalms chapter, uh, Psalms, the 68th division of Psalm, verse 5, Psalm 68, 5, Jeremiah 1 and 5, Isaiah 54 and 5, and Exodus 22, verses 22 through 24, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 16, all right? So, and all those things will be online, so you can always go back and refer to them. So let me say this, and we're going to show the two videos that I have uh, about the subject of cohabitation. Uh, and, and you can get ready to turn the screen around so they can be able to see that in the congregation. Um, every kingdom, every nation has a philosophy, a code that determines how its people are governed. In the United States, we have a constitution. Are you following this? The constitution then, we always refer back to it because we are a nation of laws. And the way that we operate, the things that we consider right and wrong, the things that we consider legal and illegal are based on the constitution of the nation that we are a part of. Let's say you're in a country like North Korea and you have a, dicta a dictator then everything is under the authority of what comes out of the mouth of that dictator. The people's view of what is right, the people's view of what is wrong, the people's view of what they do is connected to that. Christians have a dual citizenship. We are 
in the earth, we are bound to, the Bible says, render to Caesar what's Caesar and to God what's God's. We are Americans. You are maybe from another country. We've got people from the UK, Australia. You're in your country. You are a citizen of that country, and therefore you're under the laws of that country. But as Christians, we are also under the law of what the scripture says to us. Why am I saying this? For any of you that come on the stage, for any of you that are viewing this, and you would say, why would the church be insensitive to what my station of life is? Why would the church view what I'm, what I'm living or what I'm doing or who I am as wrong? L listen, the I'm not viewing anything. I don't have an opinion. I am actually just abiding by the rules of the kingdom by which I'm a part of. You don't get upset when people obey the law of the Constitution, then please don't get angry at the church for obeying the law of its Constitution, which is the Bible. That's very important to understand, because if you don't, you'll think that Christians are angry and mad. All right, so Steve Harvey is someone that all of you may know. Uh, he is uh, a comedian who's turned into a everything. I mean, he's a family feud. He's everything, all right? Uh, and Steve Harvey has a show, and in that show, and by the way, he is a strong Christian and believer. But in this show, he asked questions to several women about uh, uh, should people live together uh, before they are married? Uh, and then he gives some insight about that. And then after we hear Steve Harvey's uh, interview with these women, I have a gentleman by the name of Dave Ramsey, who is a financial expert, you all. He's uh, brilliant. As a matter of fact, he counsels and brings consult to many corporations and to many people. Uh, and he's going to be sharing some statistics uh, about people who live together before they're married and just what happens in that so neither one of them are coming necessarily from a Christian perspective but they're giving us statistics and they're giving us information and they're giving us opinions on what's being said around the subject so let's watch Steve Harvey and then let's watch Dave Ramsey two out of three new marriages are preceded by living together but according to a recent study couples who live together before marriage are 50% more likely to get divorced. Wow. wow. Is it smart to live together before marriage? I think it is smart. I don't know, I don't know about that percentage. I don't know who they were polling, yeah. but <laughs> I think it is smart. My husband and I lived together when we were engaged, okay? And we learned a lot about each other in that year. Stuff that is not a big deal, that should never be a deal breaker. And I actually think we learned a lot about each other and it, was, it, was, it made getting married and coming home after the honeymoon, it felt like really comfortable for me. Because mm -mm. I knew that. I, that. I think, no, you shouldn't get, you should, no. Really? <laughs> no, I was, I was with someone for a long time and living with them and thinking that it would grow into something that we're, right. we're gonna finally get married. And it didn't happen after six years of being with someone. See? Oh, but you weren't already engaged, though. No, we were gonna be engaged, but oh, it never, it quite never got happened. There, so right? I'm waiting when I when I should have just let his butt go because my husband was waiting somewhere around there. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you're sitting there waiting for someone who is not ready after two years. I think that should be it. But I, I think, but I think the mistake you made, you didn't have a date set. I had a lot of dates set. In your mind, <laughs> right. I had a year. You. No, I said Thank it you. to him. I want, at, after a year and a half, I want to be engaged. I want to no, get you married. You engaged and then you move in together. No, see, I was already in there, so there you go. <laughs> Don't do it. And when you are cohabitating with somebody, <laughs> you are essentially playing the role of a wife for free. 
Like, why should he have an effort to make you his wife when you cooking, when you cleaning, when you dropping it like it's hot whenever he want it hot? See? Yes, Why get married? You know, uh, I agree. I lived with the person before I married him before. That was a mistake. I didn't live with Marjorie before. And I'm I'm on my third marriage, and I didn't live with my original wife before. I would recommend not living together yes. from yeah. what I've learned. Now, even though I've lived together, I won't let my daughters. Oh, and they have come in the house with these wonderful ideas. <laughs> Two of my daughters are married, one of them's engaged. But you're not, you're not getting this milk free without purchasing the cow. Oh. See that, ladies? That's old. See that? You're not getting it. Now, it can work for people. Mm-hmm. I just wouldn't let my daughters do it because I'm, I, I put the onus, the burden of proof on the guy who came and asked me for my daughter's Mm -hmm. hand. Because all of them have asked me. Mm -hmm. And I done gave away three girls. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you the the saying that I've taught all of my daughters. You have to let a man see what he can get, but you have to make him imagine what he can have. Ooh, that's Mm. good. I need a pen. I need to write that down. down. I'm gonna let you see. I'm going to let you see what you can get. I'm going to show you some things. But I'm going to make you imagine what it's like to have it at all times, yes. to belong yeah. to you. That's when you lock a man in. Because if he want to have it, then he got to do something else. Yes. Yes. And all women have that right to do that. Mm-hmm. Women don't understand the power that you actually have. You control this entire situation. Yes. You just don't Absolutely. know you do. You Stop giving yourself away. You are the prize. The man is not the prize. Yes. He's not. You know, occasionally I catch crap from you people uh, when uh, some of you in the listening audience, when I uh, address someone who's shacking up versus being married, and uh, you think that I'm just being overly Bible-thumping or Christian or something like that, that could be true. I can be accused of those things, and that's fine. And be guilty. Guilty as charged. Uh, but why would that be? Why, why would I bother and intersect your life on a personal level like that when you're calling to ask me about something else? Because it's an economic problem. Really interesting article this week in The Federalist. Federalist.com, thefederalist.com, if you want to look up the article. The article says, the research proves the number one social justice imperative is marriage. I don't have time to go through the whole article, but this is just really intriguing research. It says, just 70 years ago, social mobility and protection from poverty were largely a factor of employment. Those who had full-time work of any kind were seldom poor. 50 years ago, education marked the gulf separating the haves and the have-nots. For the last 20 years or more, though, marital status has increasingly become the central factor in whether our neighbors and their children rise above, remain, or descend into poverty. The research is astounding. In 1960, the poorly and moderately educated were only 10% less likely to be married than the college educated, with both numbers quite high, 84 and 94% respectively. That parity largely held until the late 1970s, i.e. the sexual revolution, by the way. 
Professor Bill Galston, president of Clinton's, uh, President Clinton's domestic policy advisor and now a senior fellow at Brookings, explained that in the early 1990s that an American need only to do three things to avoid living in poverty. Graduate from high school, marry before having a child, and have that child after age 20. Only 8% of the people who do so, he reported, will be poor, while 79% who, do, who fail to do those all three will be poor. If you fail to do that, wait till after 20 to have kids, wait to have kids until after you're married and graduate from high school, you're 79% more likely to be in poverty. Only 8% who follow the sequence are in poverty. You want to do away with poverty? Get it in the right order. That's what the data shows. Graduate from high school, get married, have a kid after you're married, after 20. Those are the only things you got to do. And then you have a 92% likelihood you won't be in poverty. You have a 79% likelihood you will be in poverty if you don't do it in that order. That's amazing. Sociologists have referred to keeping these things in proper order as the success sequence. It remains true according to new research investigation from Brookings and the American Enterprise Institute. It takes a deeper look at the first comes love, then comes marriage sequence by class and by generation. A recent report on this topic focusing on millennials reports that 97% of those who follow the success sequence earn at least a high school diploma, work, and marry before having children, will not be poor as they enter their 30s. This is largely true for ethnic minorities and those who grew up in poor families. But sadly, fewer millennials are keeping these things in order compared to their boomer and Xer forebearers. By the way, if you don't know the statistics, sidebar, uh, more people now live together that are not married than live together who are married. Yeah, if you're, if you're old enough to remember Leave It to Beaver, June and Ward Cleaver, they're dead, okay? More people now shack up than not. Interesting. And it's the success sequence of first comes love is so much more than moral choice, according to this article, or romantic idealism. These are deeply pragmatic economic decisions powerfully affecting class mobility where people live on the social scale and the opportunities they will be able to provide for their children. This is because of the extraordinary economic power of marriage. The consistent and irrefutable mountain of research has shown, reading, reaching back to the 1970s and beyond, that marriage strongly boosts every important measure of well-being for children, women, and men. Pick any measure you can imagine. Overall physical and mental health, income, savings, employment, educational success, general life contentment, happiness, sexual satisfaction, 
even recovery from serious disease, healthy diet and exercise, married people rate markedly and consistently better in each of these and so many more compared to their single, divorced, and cohabitating peers. This thus marriage is an essential active ingredient in improving one's overall life prospects regardless of class, race, or educational status. That is why it's not merely one parent versus two parent families that make the difference. The U.S. Census Bureau finds that the poverty rate for children living in poverty with two unmarried cohabitating parents is similar to that of single mother homes rather than those that were married mother and father. Married people, regardless of how much they have, tend to manage their money differently than divorced, single, and cohabitating people. This just goes on and on and on and on. Where is it? Only 4% of the homes with a married mother and father are on food stamps. But 21% of cohabitating and 28% of single mother homes are require such public assistance. There's a high correlation between economically winning and getting married before having children, graduating from high school, and having children after 20. These are decisions you get to decide. You're not a victim of your choices. You are a result of your choices. You get to decide these things. Decide these things. Here's another example. Did you know that you're statistically very likely to stay married if you're engaged at least six months? You want to add probability to stay married? Engage six months and make 50000 a year household income or greater. Oh, add probability to that, four years of education. Oh, add probability to that, pre-marriage counseling in-depth, not a drive-by one-hour session with a preacher, but I'm talking about in-depth pre-marriage counseling where you talk about her mama. Yeah, you could change this. You can make decisions to change your whole direction of your family tree. This marriage thing is real. This is very interesting. Very interesting. Thefederalist.com. The research proves the number one social justice imperative is marriage. Well, um, I pray two things. Number one, that just, just as Jesus, when he stood before the woman... Um, and said, who is here to condemn you? And she said, nobody. And he said, neither do I. My prayer is that you did not look at either one of those videos, and it's hard to not do it because when you're in a situation, it feels as though the world is against you and everything is kind of aiming against you, that you would not feel condemnation. That is not the purpose, nor was that the reason for showing those videos. The first one was just to hear, again, the varied responses to how people view the idea of living together before marriage. Uh, Some of them were very much for it. Some of them were very much not for it. The second video, and the reason I chose it, was that he was coming at it from a purely economic and statistical uh, view. It was not really a moral view. It was not really thus saith the Lord. It was just saying, here is an angle, and it was some information that I did not know about. How many of y'all learned something you didn't know in that? Um, Just learning that there were some statistics that happen for individuals who choose to to be together without being married uh, as relates to their children growing up. Uh, in a certain, at a certain level economically. And so please do not allow judgment or condemnation to feel uh, that that was the focus. It, that's not the end. Let me just say this, you all. Um, 
if you, first of all, nobody knows your situation. It's very easy for a church member, a pastor, uh, somebody removed to instantly say to you, you shouldn't do or you should do. Nobody knows your situation. Uh, and so many of you have had to make, those that are online, those that are here, had to make some very tough decisions. And you've had to lean into some things that maybe may not have been comfortable for you uh, or may have been very comfortable for you. Uh, the question that we just want to ask to the church is what is our response and how do we treat people who we know are living together and they're not married? Now, let me just share with you, and I'm not going to have you go to chapter and verse. The Bible tells us about how it views those who desire to be in leadership. It tells us about those who desire to serve in any kind of upfront way in the church. Because, again, we're supposed to be representing what, the, what our Constitution says. And so it gives a different level of uh, responsibility and a different level of adherence to what that says for those who desire leadership. Uh, but what about people who say, I'm not trying to be a leader. I just want to be a member, and I just want to be involved in the ministry, or I just want to serve in this way. The question is, what has been and what is the church's attitude towards people that are living together, and what is our view about them being engaged? Now, let me just say this. I will never compromise what the scriptures say about how we should live our lives. Amen. That is the rule of life for us. However, if two people come to our church and they have, they are, they're in their 50s and they've been living together since they were in their teens and they got kids that are grown and I'm telling them, well, you got to do this before you can stand in the parking lot and direct the car, I think something's wrong with that. I'm just letting you know as a pastor, I don't think it's wrong to have someone who desires to work in the church and serve in some kind of way be told, now go back, just like the woman, go, and, go get your life right, then I'll accept you. Go get your life right, then I'll, I'll connect with you. Jesus connected with people before they got their life right, and his love for them while their life wasn't right led them to get their life right. Are you following that? Now, if that person says, I want to be the head of this, I might say, hold on a second, because the scriptures say if you want to be a leader, there's a different level of accountability and responsibility for that. Uh, there's going to be lots of online discussion. I see questions on y'all faces due to masks. Yeah, I wish y'all online could see this, the congregation. I see masks, and I see questions on the faces of people through their masks. And I, that's, what it, that's what's exciting about this series, because we get an opportunity online to follow up and some online conversations and some leanings in uh, with some of our, our ministers who are going to be diving in a little bit deeper with giving you some content and some other things. So any of you all that find yourself in a situation where you are um, living together and you're not married, uh, know that the scriptures that I gave to you at the beginning let you know what the Bible says about your, about your situation. That's what the Bible says. But then I also want to say to you that the church of Jesus Christ 
models the life of Jesus in the way in which we approach you and the way in which we interact with you. That means before we condemn you, number one, we're not going to do it because that's not our role. We're going to love you. We're going to engage you. We're going to serve you. And then we'll let the Holy Spirit do the rest of the work. Amen. Well, I want to transition you all because not only do we have a lot of individuals who uh, may be in that situation, but we've got a lot of individuals who are single parents, single parents. Uh, I'm the product <coughs> of a single parent family, and I think I turned out all right. Uh, and I'm grateful for single parents that are, uh, that are listening and that are tuning in, but also those of you all who are uh, not, not just single parents, but those of you all who are in blended families. That means that you uh, may have had a child uh, from a previous marriage or a previous relationship, and now you've got to figure out how do we have these kids who are from different moms or different dads in the same house. How many of y'all know that can be a little tricky? Yeah, it can be very challenging. And so you are, I'm so grateful to have with us Timothy Moss, uh, who is a member of our church. And listen, y'all, I'm glad that I didn't have to reach outside of our congregation. And, but, but these are vulnerable conversations, and it's a big deal for people to stand on this stage, to sit on this stage in front of the camera, and to have questions asked to them. And so, Timothy, thank you so much, man. He loves the Lord. He's a faithful member of this church. Uh, but I'm going to be sharing some questions with him, and I just asked him to and answer them as candidly as he, as he can. But I also said to him, if there's a question that he doesn't feel comfortable asking, Ask and just say, you know what, I don't feel comfortable with that, Pastor. Uh, we don't want you to be uh, outside of uh, uh, your comfort zone there. So, Tim, tell us a little bit, what was your childhood like? Did you have both parents in the house? Were you raised in a Christian home? Uh, what was your education like? What was your, what was your childhood like? Um, my childhood was... Now, and there's both, a clock right there, too, Okay, the both, of, both of my parents, uh, they're still living, they're still together to this day. Um, I was raised with two parents, Well, actually... Just a community, okay. As I was raised, so everybody was my mom, dad, you know wherever I went. But it it was great. It was tough growing up. My dad being strict like he was. Um, went to church every Sunday. You know, grew up in a Baptist church. Uh, was involved in a lot of things. You know, not just my dad pushed me, but my family, church family, and it was a wonderful thing. Um, I thought it was hard though. You know, being young, like you know, why so tough? Why do I have to do all these things? But being where I'm at now, I understand yeah. why my dad and everybody was tough. You know, um, for his high school, you know, I was like the standout, you know, bully. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. Even my mom don't know. Uh -oh. They might know now, though. All right. But, uh, <laughs> they know now. But, yeah, it, it, was, it was easy, but it was tough. And I thank God for, you know, those friends and family who kept me, yeah. who stood by my side, you know, didn't really allow people to just you know, run over me. So um, I thank God for that. You know, I never thought I'd be 50 today. Really? Why not? Um, just a lot of choices I made in my life. So you feel like some of, the, some of the choices you thought would have could have took me. Wow. Okay. Yes. So two parents, Christian home, uh, good yes. education, you know, really a good upbringing, right? Yes. So when did you become a committed Christian? I, 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 you know, I heard you say you grew up in the Baptist church. I think a lot of people can grow up in the church and not really be converted, not really have a personal kind of vibrant relationship with the Lord. When would you say you became a committed Christian, you know, seeking the Lord every day, trying to live your life by the scriptures? When did that happen? Um, after I moved here. 
to Detroit in 96. So probably I, I would say what made me become more committed is my first time visiting Citadel over there on, uh, not Gladstone, but across the street because I live down the street. And my first time coming in there hearing you preach, Pastor, scared me. I think I shared that with you because it felt like I was the only one sitting in the audience. The message touched me, it scared me, but it drew me back mm. to, mm. Um, to God. I got just tired of living, you know, life in the street. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, you know, you, you heard of us when we were on Woodward and all that, and you joined there, you felt God, um, and you felt, you know, tired of living your life on the streets. And so, you, so I'm kind of trying to paint the picture. You grew okay. up in a Christian home, went to high school, um, but then you mentioned life on the streets. So when um, did life on the streets happen? And if you don't mind, what did life on the streets mean? It, it happened. Just, it happened. Um, I would say right after I came out of the military when it started happening. Um, so you went to the military? Yes, I went to the military. Okay, what you, what? Marines. What, okay. Um, in 89. Uh, I got medical discharge in 90. And, um, you know, I just felt like, you know, I, was, I just loved to be challenged. You know, I was, I was always challenged growing up. And um, so I felt like, you know, I always wanted to leave home. Um, I was adventurous. You know, I wanted to know what life was like, what the world was like. Okay. I always did. Um, so when I got discharged, you know, I just started hanging with, you know, family, different people that I knew, but I knew what they was about. But it's like I wanted to be a part of that because I felt like I couldn't be a part of something that was more meaningful. Okay. And they weren't always the best people to hang no, around. It wasn't, Pastor. And, um, you know, and that started transitioning. I started getting in trouble, um, hanging with the wrong people. Um, I even ran with gang members. I wasn't, but, you know, my family had family members and friends, you know. They, so I started picking up those habits, you know, yeah. getting high, getting drunk. Yeah. It became an everyday process for me. Wow. Going to That's, sleep. So every up. day. Yeah, every day. Wow. Every day. So as, as a single man, um, you know, I mean, I just can't imagine a single man in these days uh, struggling. I mean, because sometimes with drugs and alcohol comes other dynamics, you know, uh, there's women and there's, you know, all of that. So how, how you know, you're a Christian man, um, you grew up in the church, you became, but how is it, how is the struggle with dealing with with attraction, physical urges, is it easy? Is it difficult? Is it? I mean, what is what has that been like to be a Christian man um, out here trying to do what's right, but still having these urges and struggles physically with the track? You know, all that has that been a struggle for you at all? Big struggle, very difficult. Um, I went from being attracted to people physically, and when I just when I gave my life to God, which was in 2008 when I joined, that's when I, yeah. and then I started, when I kept praying to God, let me see people through that heart, mm -hmm. how he sees them. Um, this has been my prayer every since, and um, I pray this every day, every day I wake up, because I know my uh, flesh. Yeah. You know, and I used to fall into that a temptation of seeing someone physically attractive, and you know, living the way I was living, it was never a problem. I approach, I wasn't shy to approach no one. Now it's like I don't, and it's a struggle today still. Um, 
But I thank God that I've grown, the growth that I got from that, that he, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, let me just say this to you, and I've had a chance to, to talk with you throughout the years, and, uh, you know, let me just say to those that are watching, those that are here, you know, there's, there's, there's two sides of church. There's the churchy side that we show each other every Sunday, and it's the, then it's the life that we live the rest of the week. And, and in church, ain't nobody really, well, nobody's showing lust in church. Nobody's showing excitement and, you know, physical, you know, that's usually, you know, the spirit of God, decency, all those things. But when you go into an over-sexualized world, uh, when, when times have changed, the times used to be where, you know, there was a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, give and take. You know, we're going we to uh, keep each other from a distance and we go, you know, <laughs> it's a whole different world now as it relates to the way that people approach each other, the way people feel about intimacy. It's very, very different. And so let me just say the courage it even took and takes for you to even talk about this is huge. And I just think we ought to give God praise for him being on the stage. So, um, you know, um, how has it been for you to enter into meaningful relationships with, with, with women? I mean, has that been a struggle for you as a single man? And again, I know that single women may have a different perspective, but how has it been in, again, this over-sexualized world, this, you know, how many, you know, it's, it's sometimes all about, I see somebody, you know, I'm just going to go after that. How has it been to form deeper meaningful relationships. Has that been a challenge? It's been a challenge. Um, even first relationships and everything, um, most of the relationships that I've been in, they started out, instead of dating, it became, okay, we meet, we talk, then sex, then yeah. Yeah. That so that it was those relationships it was mostly built off of that. Not instead of the right thing, instead of getting to know each other and yeah. better. It's you know, um I never was really in I was maybe two long term relationships out of my whole lifetime. Yeah. You know, the other ones they was there but they ended and they didn't bother me, but nine and a half half years with my second oldest daughter, that was a long time for me. Hmm. Because uh, I didn't see myself being committed to someone that long. Say that again. I didn't see myself being committed. Why not? Being hurt, uh, coming out of high school, being engaged, going to the military, then um, to get a Dear John letter, that just kind of changed my whole mentality on not caring about nobody's feelings wow. but my own. So how you were built, kind of built this, I'm not going to get hurt, so I'm going to build a wall to protect myself from anything that potentially could bring hurt. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So uh, how many children do you have? And um, do, you, do, uh, do they all have the same mom? If not, how do you manage multiple dynamics with that? I mean, how many kids do you have? And do you have more than one mom? I have five altogether. Um, my oldest live in Mississippi by a, diff by a different mother. Uh, my second oldest lives here in Michigan. She, you know, different mother. Then I have a 12-year-old. Her mom lives in Iowa. And then my beautiful two out there in the audience, named it by the same mom. Wonderful. Um, 
And you, I mean, let me tell you something. He loves his kids, too. I mean, he is an incredible dad. I mean, he, I mean, I don't see him ever without them. But go ahead. So you, you got, yeah. Um, with my three oldest, it's, it hasn't been a challenge. They're, me and their mother's always been on the same page as far as raising them. Um, not just letting them have the way, but raising them according to, you know, how we was raised in church through God. And so we never really had any up heads about things, you know. It's something going on. They always kept me informed. Um, but with, their, with the last two, it's, it's, it's a real, real struggle. Why has it been a struggle? I could have lost my eyesight, motherfucker. Because, you know, I caught her in lies. Seven years yeah. of lies. So you and, yeah, so there's some tension that was in the relationship and it created some violence and some dynamics and some other stuff. Gotcha. Um, so let me, let me go back, if I could, about how, how it works when a child is in the, in, the, in, the, in the home of someone else and she may have another man, she may have another husband, how, are you, how is your voice able to be still in the life of that kid when maybe the mom has moved on with somebody else? Has that been easy? Has that been difficult? Do you find that that's a challenge? Because a lot of blended families have that issue where um, you know now that you've had a child uh, and you want to still be in their life, uh, the mother has gone on, married somebody else or with somebody else, and now you got two hours or three hours or a weekend. Uh, how, much, how much input have you been allowed to have in the rearing, development, decisions of those kids that are much older? Um, I, would, I would say more than 50% input because okay. they, you know, like I said, they always kept me informed what was going on. Um, so, so none of those mothers have ever denied you of being the father? No. Okay. Never. Wow. They have never denied me. You know, even though sometimes we don't get along, but we still found a way to come together for our children. Yeah, yeah. And that right there was, mean, a lot to me. Um, you know, even with my Sagado's mother, she was remarried, but, you know, her husband passed away at the time. But, uh, you know, he was Put like the a, mic a little bit closer. He was like a rock. Uh, between me and the space I had with her mother. Okay. Because he wanted me to be, you know, and I wanted to be there. So he helped blend that. And I thank God for him because you don't see too many men, you right. know, with different, that would do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that just gave me more strength. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. So um, That's it's, good. it's been easy. And, you know, like I said, it's more of a struggle now because of, how I was brought up and how their mother was brought up, two different dynamics, and it's like um, it's like I'm fighting the enemy every day when I when they come yeah. home. We're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that. Let me just say this too, uh, and and I I'm prayerful that these times don't become this moment that I'm doing that I said I'm not gonna do. But let me just say this: uh, if you are in a blended family um, and you and the 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 parent have fallen out, whether it's the husband, I mean the man, the, the father or the mother, that is still that child's parent. 
I'm just being, I mean, I, I, and I know that they're a jerk. You don't like them. They can't stand, I can't stand them. Every time I get around them, I want to throw up. And, you know, I know all of that. But that child, that is still their parent. That is still their parent. And to rob that child of a relationship with that parent just because you don't get along with them, please be mindful of the harm that it's causing the child. Just, just that's all, you know what I'm saying? That's so important. So I, I just really appreciate hearing how even these other fathers or these other men in these women's lives have been favorable. But I want to get back and kind of circle and, and close in on this. When you're in a relationship as a single, now you're a single dad, trying to make it work, trying to make it better, and it's, it's just like, you know, you, you just, it's not happening. And that can seem very difficult. Um, how do you not give up? How do you keep going? How do you stay encouraged? Uh, because you got to do that for the kids. You can't give up uh, because they need you. But how do you push past the negativity or push past? Because uh, a lot of y'all that are watching, when you're in these blended families or you're a single parent uh, and you get around the person who may not be where you are, they can say some pretty nasty stuff. And they can say, you know, but well, it's the last time you're going to see, you know, you can go, you can go there, right? Uh, how do you push through it, Tim? How do you try to stay encouraged? I mean, it's almost hard for you to even talk about it. I mean, every time that part comes up, you get really choked up. It comes up. How do you push past that? How do you say, look, you know what? For the sake of these babies, I'm going to keep it going. What, 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 what motivates you to keep going? That God never gave up on me. Um, the monsters I was isolated to myself, uh, God really did a lot to me that I would never expect it. Because uh, I always seek him for guidance with them and with their mom. I don't speak bad of no one. Um, it's tough to hear God say pray for. And I'm like, why? You heard that? It's tough to hear God say, pray for her. So I just want to say to all y'all, what God be saying to you, pray for the one that you, you know, don't like, do that. Because, you know, he's doing that. And, um, and in doing that, I start feeling God peace over me more and more. Even when they have no words, I just cried out with my heart with it. And I was just honestly like, God, I don't know what to pray. I don't want to. And then me being honest now with God and myself, I mean, his peace, been, his love has been so sufficient in my life. It's like people think I'm just nonchalant when things go wrong. When I see things with them, uh, anybody in my family, anybody I care and love, they feel I just be peaceful. And, and um, I don't give into it no more. And that's not even by my strength. Wow, well, we're grateful that your relationship with Jesus is shining through probably the most difficult thing and the difficult, most difficult relationship you could ever have. So I want to kind of come down to these two last questions. Most churches focus on families, Tim. I mean, most churches, the whole ministries are family-oriented. Even when the pastor or ministers talk, it's always about, you know, bring your families. Um, how do you feel the church has treated you, your children, and your journey as a single dad. How do you feel the church has approached you? This is the most wonderful place I ever could have been going through what I've been going through because 
everyone has reached out to me. They didn't turn away from me. They prayed for me. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and let me just say again, those that are watching and you feel like the church are just, you know, full of jerky type people, uh, not every church is that way. Um, and, and when you don't, when you just love people and you love them to Jesus and you let Jesus fix whatever's wrong, uh, that, that changes a person's whole life. It changes a person's whole life. Uh, Tim, you've come and shared many things with me, many things, things I would never say on this stage, but you shared many things with me. And not one time did I judge you. Not one time did you share anything. I mean, you shared some pretty tough stuff. Did I ever uh, look sideways or, or, or look at you different? Uh, and I believe that this church and other churches who love Jesus ought to have people, listen, be able to be themselves in front of you and you still love them the same way they would be if they acted a certain way. Come on now. Isn't that the truth? <clears throat> and so, Tim, we're just grateful. And, and I asked this last question of everybody, everybody that's going to be sitting in these interview chairs. Uh, what would you say to the church, not just this church, but what would you say to the church in general um, to reach more singles, more single parents, more single men? What would be your message to the Christian church about what it could do to be better? Not, not, not so much us, but be better at, at handling people like you and reaching people like you. What would you say to the Christian church? Ask the tough questions that need to be asked and love them where they're at. Because everyone is on a journey, but everyone is not in the same place in their journey. Wow. Come on, somebody. Can we give God praise for Tim? Oh, we can do better than that. Can we give God praise for the courage that it took? We're both fully vaccinated. That's why I want y'all to know that. So, amen, amen. Listen, you all, I, I want us to move forward, but I, I am prayerful of two things in particular. One is that, and, and, and we glossed over a lot. I don't want to get emotional, but it's hard to not do it. I grew up with a single mom. I grew up not knowing my dad because my dad was married when my mom conceived me. And then after my mom was expecting me, he said three months or so in, by the way, I'm married. And my mom said, well, by the way, you'll never meet your son. I never knew that that was the reason why my father was out of my life. I, I, I thought he abandoned me, but my mother said, I'm not going to. Her hurt kept her from letting me meet him. When I was in college, my father, uh, who was watching uh, Liberty uh, University and Jerry Falwell, there was a black preacher on TV um, and the guy was talking about him finding his dad. And anyway, he said, I'm going to find, I'm going to look for my son. And he remembered my grandfather's phone number. That's the only number he had. This is, man, I was in, I was down in Dallas in school. 
And he called that number, and I just called my granddaddy and gave my granddaddy my number while I was in college. And I was at uh, my wife, I'll never forget this, I was uh, at, a, at, a, at working, and my wife called me and said, uh, Harvey, guess what? Your, your, your father called. I'm like, my father? You mean like God? Because <laughs> that's the only father. <laughs> you your father called. I'm like, no. Nah. She said, no, your dad called. And, um, and I heard his voice for the first time. And let me just say this. Even though uh, I had all those emotions of abandonment and all of that stuff, just hearing my father's voice, it closed the loop that had been opened. Then I have a brother by the name of Harvey. I have a brother named Harvey who's just a few months, uh, Papa was a rolling stone, I ain't kid, um, who was just a few months uh, older than me. And, uh, no, a few months younger than me. And all of a sudden, he's on the phone. He's in, he's in Arkansas, and he's like, I'm your brother Harvey, and I'm driving to come see you. And he drove through the night to come see me, and when I saw him, another part closed. So I'm just saying to the broken, all right? I'm talking to the broken who have been broken because you were with somebody, you've had a child with somebody, and they broke your heart. Don't break your children by your broken heart. And if you have chosen to live together, it's not my reason, it's not my job, it's not the church's job, it's nobody's job to start schooling you and telling you anything. We don't know anything about your story. I just simply want to say to you, look at what God is saying to you in this moment. And is it, and here it is, here it is, here it is. Um, how can we, the church, love you? And don't be ashamed of your situation and stay away from the God who can walk with you through your situation. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? I hope you heard that. Don't be in your situation and feel ashamed so that you don't come to church. Because if I come to church, them church folk are going to look at me. Half the folk in here, they got something going on. Most of everybody, everybody in this church has sinned, done something up sideways, and, and can't no piece of dirt judge another piece of dirt, all right? So, so, so in Jesus' name, don't stay from the place where God is. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? So whether you are living together, whether you are a single mom, a single dad, uh, whether you are one of those people that have been hurt and wounded in a relationship and you're struggling by yourself, let me tell you, there's a, there's a God who loves you, there's a Savior who died for you, and there's a church that is willing to embrace you with open arms and no judgment, but giving you the love of Christ, and that is the church that we are a part of. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we love you, we honor, and we bless you. We thank you for this really kind of uncharted water that we're in. I, I don't remember a time in my 30 plus years of ministry that I've ever dived into subject matter this way. But God, I know that now more people who are in these situations will tune in and say, let me hear what the church would say to me. Let me hear how the church would treat my situation. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name that there would not be any tinge of judgment that there would not be any hint of condemnation because there is none. 
that those who are in these situations, no matter what the situation is, that they know that there's a Jesus who died for them. A Savior who got up from the grave with all power for them. And that there's a church, and there are many of them. We're not the only church that does this, but there's a church that is not going to first look at them and get out a piece of paper and find out what they can look at about what their life and is it right, is it wrong. But no, there's a church that would love them, that would talk to them and embrace them and let the Holy Spirit do the work. So God, we pray now for those who are listening, those who are here in person and those who are viewing online who might find themselves at a point in life where they feel judged where they feel condemned, that the devil has made them feel unworthy. Satan, you are a liar. Some people have tried to contemplate suicide. Some have tried to contemplate other things because they feel as though life is not worth living because I know that God doesn't love me and I know the church doesn't love me, but Satan, you're a liar. God does love everyone. So if you're listening right now and you would say, you know what, Pastor, I, I want to know this Jesus who would love me where I am. I want to know this Savior that would love me where I am. How do I do that? Well, the Bible is so clear. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 reminds us that whoever calls upon the name of Jesus, it doesn't just mean with your mouth, but with your heart. Something about calling on God. God, I need you. God, I need your help. God, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be part of God's family. You'll be saved from yourself. You'll be saved from sin. You'll be saved from the enemy and all the lies he's been given to you. One of the great things about having heard what you just had a chance to experience is that your faith has gotten stronger. There's no way that you could have heard this message and your faith has not been increased. But where do we go? How do we move from faith to faith? The Bible is very clear that if you have not really made the greatest decision of your life, which is to become a Christian, you've really missed the great joy of the journey. So wherever you are, if you would like to have a personal relationship with Christ, do what the scripture says. Call upon the name of the Lord and you can be saved. Pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. I receive you now as my Savior and as my Lord. I'm trusting you and only you to direct my life in Jesus' name. Congratulations, wherever you are, that means that you have become a believer. For those of you that are already believers, your faith is now stronger. Don't be merely a hearer, but be a doer and let's change the world. If you just prayed that prayer, you have an opportunity to reach out to us and we would be honored to serve you and help you in your journey. Uh, please contact us at area code 313-871-FORT or please visit us on our website, citadeloffaith.org. That's simply spelled C-I-T-A-D-E-L of faith.org, all one word. We would love to hear your testimonies. We would love to hear your prayer requests. Know that you're in a partnership with us and you're not in the journey alone. Let's change the world together, one person at a time.